Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor for HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides thoughtful conversations about diversity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace with experts, leaders, and change makers in the space. Today's episode is a very special one. I'm more than delighted to be joined by Steve Pemberton, Chief HR Officer at Workplace Recognition Company, WorkHuman. Steve works with HR leaders and senior management executives to help build workplaces where every employee feels recognized, respected, and appreciated for who they are and what they do. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Bianca. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. The sun is shining. Uh, It's not too cold, (laughs) so I'm pleased. (laughs) That is good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Well, let's dive right into it, shall we? Steve, tell me, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? I always think about the room where it happens, as Lin-Manuel Miranda so famously said in (laughs) Hamilton. And at that room, in in that room, are people who are making decisions, strategic Mm -hmm. decisions, people decisions, business decisions. And for HR to have a seat at that table uh, where where decisions are, are are made is how I think about it. It does not mean in that same room being on the periphery of the conversation. We've all been in rooms where there's a table and then there's chairs kind of behind the table and people are in those chairs. And important necessary roles, no doubt, but it's not at that specific table, three or four feet away, but can be an entire universal way of impact, influence, and of uh, thoughtful opinion. And so uh, see the table is a, is a visual representation really of something that is essential i think to any organization to have hr occupy that really important space and place absolutely absolutely and i'm going to tie in here as well i love your diversity and inclusion profile that we recently featured you in and you talked a lot about, uh, which I think ties into this conversation as, as well, having a seat at the table, it's also uh, knowing who is at the table as well. You stated that for you, the most impactful diversity lesson of all is that people shouldn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what someone is, but instead figuring out who they are. Can you elaborate there, please? I think the way that we're socialized is largely in this society and probably across the world is through the label, race, gender, political affiliation, where you stand on a social issue, faith expression. And those are elements of all of us. But what I find is that it is limiting because while that is a a part of who we are, it's not all that we are. That's number one. Number two, there is this regrettable reality that those same labels are often purposefully manipulated uh, to create narratives about those individuals that's not born in fact and actually does not allow you to see the totality of their experience. So some things are informed by race and gender and religion, uh, but when you get beyond those initial designators, you find this commonality of experience. And those commonalities serve two really important functions. One, it allows you to see someone's full uh, humanity. 
And it also enables you to see that you have something in common with that person. Yeah. Though at first glance, you might think that you do not, when in fact you might have more in common than you realize. Absolutely, uh, I completely agree. And I think right now uh, the climate, what the past two years, it's insane to think that you know COVID-19 has completely upended and reshaped everything. Mm -hmm. And of course the workplace, um, HR, uh, is no exception to that as well. Um, and it's kind of forced, it has not only forced a lot of changes, uh, but it's mm -hmm. expedited a lot of things as well. And of course, including culture uh, and acknowledging that workforces are made up of human beings, right, and not robots. And I think that ties into that uh, humanity aspect that you just touched on. It, I, I'm going to harken back to this uh, diversity inclusion profile, which of course mm -hmm. I'll have linked in this with that tying into that human aspect, you said, stated that seeing people for who they are and embracing a human workplace, one that sees people as the organization's greatest asset, asset, that can point leaders to the broader message of how diversity can work effectively in larger society. How important is recognition in the workplace today? If you think about the historical arguments for diversity and inclusion across multiple populations and communities, whether we were talking about voting rights for women or and people of color or equal access for people with disabilities. These are all actually first and foremost and fundamentally arguments about recognition. That's really what they are. When you peel them apart, it's exactly what they are. To be recognized for your humanity Mm -hmm. and for what you bring uh, to the world as a result of having lived diverse experiences. In the rush to be a diverse organization environment or an inclusive one, we forget that maybe the first place to begin is recognizing each other, finding those common connections. And in more advanced organizations where they've been at diversity and inclusion and equity for some time, I'd argue to insert recognition into that paradigm is important. And let me give you an example. In our world, we promote the power of productive workplaces that is amplified, magnified by the power of recognition. Mm -hmm. So if you have a team working on a project and peers are able to recognize peers for their contribution to that project, there is a consistency in the application of that recognition. When we talk about, let's say, diversity in boardrooms or diversity at senior levels of an organization, what is that about? That's about recognizing talent early on in that organization and creating the mechanisms and the environment for her to elevate to having a seat at that table. How does she get a seat at the table? Well, those who have a seat at that table, it's because they were recognized somewhere along the line. Somebody recognized them. And it, it I think, inverts how you think about talent management, how mm -hmm. it changes how you look at recruiting. It all changes when you start with recognition as a baseline. I'd also say that the ongoing focus on what are the adverse impacts of the absence of diversity, uh, micro inequities, unconscious bias, 
Those are necessary mechanisms. The challenge I find with them though, is that it anchors the conversation in things that are adverse or in the case of gender in the workplace and sexual harassment and me too, perverse behaviors. So you don't really ever really see the full impact that women make uh, to product lines and marketing plans and strategic decisions mm -hmm. uh, because your lens is solely focused on policies and practices that are focused on sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. um, those are realities. I'm not in any way, shape or form suggesting that those not be areas of attention. What I am saying is that that's the only time you're talking about gender in the workplace in the context of adverse behaviors, then you miss the whole other totality of what she brings. And the same thing is true for Latinos uh, and African-Americans in the LGBTQ community uh, and people with disabilities. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you use the words that you just have specifically uh, lens, because I think we have to, it's almost like a mindset makeover, if you will. We have to change our perspective lenses about literally how we approach things. Uh, just like you said, that unconscious bias, uh, which some stats are showing is gonna take what, uh, at least uh, two, two generations uh, to mm -hmm. actually get rid of. Uh, so how important is it when we are, or when HR leaders and organizations are framing uh, conversations uh, and recruiting, as you mentioned, retaining talent to kind of switch their perspective lens, if you will, to not only recognize what they're seeing, but to also just have a, a mindset makeover, if you will, to approach it from a different uh, perspective. Innovation is a bridge to helping shift that, that mindset. Mm -hmm. you know, it's no accident that a lot of innovation comes from people who have found themselves trying to integrate or insert themselves into the mainstream of a society. Uh, so it's not a surprise, uh, or should not be a surprise anyway, that some of our greatest innovations uh, in entrepreneurship comes from communities that have been marginalized, uh, and in some cases quite purposefully. Um, uh, so, I mean, you, you, you can't do a, um, even a cursory, um, review of the LGBTQ movement in, uh, in, in America and not see the enormous creativity that comes from that community. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when, as organizations, we begin to see that the lived experience is a real driver of, of innovation mm -hmm. and that therefore we want different perspectives in, in our organization. And that it need not be reflected solely in your, through your specific, you know, lens or, or community. You know, some years ago, a uh, graduate student uh, wanted, went to go see uh, the play Rent. He couldn't afford it, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so he couldn't afford a, a seat that was close to the, to the stage. So he, he got a ticket that was available to him and um, sat way, way in the back. And he saw Rent um, and sees for the first time a cast on a stage that is not predominantly white and male. And even though he, obviously, Rent folks on the gay community uh, and the impact of AIDS, um, and though he um, was not 
personally directly touched by either of, of, of those realities. Uh, he walked away from that experience saying, so there is a world out there that could include people who look like me. And so he goes on to create what has been a phenomena, and that's Hamilton. That person's name was Lin-Manuel Miranda, mm -hmm. who creates Hamilton, this powerful telling of the story of Alexander Hamilton with a diverse cast, uh, does through the language of hip hop and introduces Hamilton to an entirely new generation. And so th there, there's, you can see the intersections of innovation. And, and I often think about that through the lens of the cast of Rent, mm. who probably did not realize until when Alvareda created Hamilton, that they had a major impact on him. And my point is that we, we never really do know the kind of effect and impact that we have uh, when we put those important stakes down about not just representation, but the mm -hmm. connection between representation and innovation and what it creates, what it fosters. Of course, of course, that is beautifully expressed as well. Thank you for that. With that in mind, Steve, where do you see corporate culture headed? Well, you know, as, as context, I would say that the last time the ways of working shifted as much as they are was back in the 1920s when the 40-hour work week was created. Mm -hmm. so you'd have to go back that far to answer the question, when was the last time we saw such a seismic shift in the way that people work? Yeah. That tells us where we're headed, that uh, we're going to see more and more uh, hybrid ways of working. Flexibility is going to be a norm, especially as Gen Z comes into the workforce and expectation that this is how it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a renewed focus on community. And in mm -hmm. part because of what we were talking about before, because what we've not talked about is the regrettable reality of the enormous and extraordinary pushback against diversity. Uh, there, there, you know, there, there's no confusion, there's no ambiguity at all about the very specific intention uh, to, under false pretenses in a lot of cases, to e eliminate the conversation almost entirely. And so as a result, it's created a lot of collisions about things like response and a lot of brutal, brutal inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. You know, as African-Americans, we live in a time where people want to dictate to you how you should protest. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, you have to couch your protest in a way that others will not take offense to the fact that you're offended. And that, you know, for this, this generation is not something they're abiding because of the inconsistency of it, because there's different rules clearly for others and the way that they manifest protests with happening literally this very week. So that there's ways that protest appears to be manifested, which is, you know, not, not new, but it's regrettable because we thought those fights were over and they're clearly not. Uh, if anything, uh, they have to be enjoined by a new generation. Now, where does that happen? Where's the healing to come? Where are those new pathways to be found? I'd actually argue that our last best chance at finding a more just, more equal society is in the workplace. Why? Because people trust their employers more than any other voice 
in society today. They don't trust news. They don't trust social media. They don't trust politicians. You know, they do trust, they trust their employer. That's who they trust. If you think about our, our daily life, where are we most likely to encounter diversity and diversity all aimed towards the greater good? It's in the workplace. You encounter different cultures and different languages and different ways of communicating and different leadership styles. You encounter it all in the workplace. Why it can be a healing ground is because though you have all those things, in broader society, they become divisive and polarizing. But in the workplace, when you have to get a marketing plan done or a, a presentation completed, that doesn't matter. Everybody has to be aimed towards that, that greater good. Otherwise, that organization, doesn't matter who they are, how long they've been around, doesn't matter if they're for-profit, non-profit, NGO, doesn't matter. They'll collapse. Mm -hmm. Organizations generally, as structures, do not enjoy the luxury of the kind of dissonance and polarization that we see in society. But it also helps us find that more common good and we can, we can better connect. That's our world. That's what we live in every day. How can HR leaders and organizations rework their company culture to make it more inclusive and make their diverse candidates that they tap feel that they belong? Yeah, inclusion does not happen uh, without recognition. The organizations that I've seen that are successful, it begins with recognition and they have not just the intention but they have the actions and the measures behind the intention. You can have broad statements, whether they're as perfunctory as EEO statements or as broad as DNI plans. You can have all of that yeah. uh, as a stated uh, intention. But what are the actions and what are the measures that that you're that you're undertaking? You know. So, as an example, everybody at Work Human is going to walk through uh, DE and I training this year, all of us. And it's, it's mandatory. We are having a company kickoff next week. And uh, we have a, a corporate social responsibility initiative around women's aid and recognition of uh, the domestic violence that had has unfolded on two very specific and tragic incidents mm -hmm. in Ireland. When, when you begin to communicate through action and measure, to your employees, that these are just not words on the wall, that you actually live by them. And that, so while you're doing that, and what, and what does that say? That's about the organization's broader societal commitment to matters of equity and fairness and dignity and respect and civility. You marry that to a daily culture of recognition that recognizes performance, that recognizes talent, wherever it is in the organization, that is recognized by peers, that is seen and viewed by all. Go back to what I said earlier, at the forefront of most social movements has been that common thread, hasn't mattered. It's always been about recognition. But I think we also have to be taught how to recognize you know, yeah. someone, how to see the innovation that different populations bring, how that's not something to be tolerated, actually, but it's something to be celebrated, to be magnified. And we should do that to be candid for our own selfish interests. Uh, the labor force is changing an immutable demographic reality that is upon us. You can like it, you can not like it, but your opinion about it doesn't much matter because it's coming. It's already here, yeah. actually. So uh, we cannot have as a nation underutilization of the talent pool. And whether that means looking at working mothers differently or the overall ways of working differently, and that's what you do because that's a full utilization 
of, of, of the talent pool. And I would also say, especially to senior leaders, to actively think about how they uh, can support those shifts and, and, and changes uh, accordingly. Especially COVID has uh, made that abundantly clear that these things are all on fast forward now. Mm -hmm. Hybrid ways of working, emphasis on mental health and well-being, the importance of uh, caring for parents mm -hmm. of young children who are oftentimes taking care of aging parents, who want to be closer to aging parents. I mean, these are all, as part of the human condition, human experience, that's that culture, that ecosystem of recognition. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in terms of one's self-interest? Well, you're going to stay longer at that company. Yeah. You're going to provide discretionary uh, uh, effort. You're going to tell your friends and network about a job opportunity at that company. You know, you, you also, especially now, will find community because community is what we lost during the pandemic, community and connectedness. And so it's how you achieve loyalty, I would say. Uh, and most organizations are absolutely what they're trying to find is loyalty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, beautifully expressed. Thank you for that. And uh, I, of course, believe that loyalty is the uh, word here too. We are seeing uh, people quit their jobs in record numbers uh, with the great resignation and uh, companies, um, some companies scrambling to uh, try to tap new resources and ways to retain their employees or even just uh, attract new employees uh, for the talent that is left um, that they have to replace mm -hmm. uh, with new people. Well, yeah. I point out, Bianca, a distinction here because amongst sectors of the labor force, mm -hmm. different things are happening. So for a lot of the blue collar sector, which traditionally been referred to as a blue collar sector, it's, it is the great resignation. White collar sector, to agree I can use that as a definition, that's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. What's happening there is the great talent swap. Mm -hmm. And yet both of them are driven by the same thing, which is recognition. Mm -hmm. Blue collar sector, I am putting my life on the line, a lot of cases, whether yeah. I'm stocking a grocery shelf or, or working on the assembly line. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not compensated the way that I should be. I'm not, you know, I'm not recognized for what I'm doing. Other sector, recognition a little bit different. I am working at home. Uh, I'm on a screen all day. I'm playing yeah. teacher and lunch lady to my young children. I have a child on my lap and I'm conducting a meeting at, you know, at the same time. My day starts earlier, ends later, kind of not getting a break. So let me go find some place where things will be a little bit calmer. Mm -hmm. And I can have a stronger connection between work life. So, you know, the pandemic has had different, you know, an impact in, in, in both ways, I think. But it's kind of, it, but it certainly has reset mm -hmm. uh, the expectation of work and life. And so we want to be there for, for moments that matter. Mm -hmm. You know, time with my parents is precious now. I realize that now. Yeah. Uh, you know, dropping my children off on the school bus or reading them a bedtime story rather than being in a car commuting. You know, the, these, these are changes in, in, in ways of thinking, operating that are going to be with us. Now it's that seismic shift. Five years from now, yeah. we won't be talking about it because it's going to be normal. Absolutely. You just tapped into my question, the perfect point forward, of course, with today's climate, what does it mean to have an excited, engaged, and productive work workforce, excuse me, and what does mm -hmm. it take to cultivate that kind of workforce as well? Uh, inclusiveness is an important part of that 
shift to, and I and I'm not referring to inclusiveness in in, in the context of DEI. I'm referring to inclusiveness in terms of the engagement of employees on what they are looking for in their work environments. You know, that's something that we uh, have routinely done, and it's why we benefited uh, from having a lower turnover than uh, peers in the technology sector. I think an active process of hearing uh, from employees about what works for them and what does not work, and then determining, so where um, is, is the best utilization of resources based on what those priorities are? And so it doesn't mean you can do everything that employees suggest or recommend, but you can always, one, ask, communicate back. We can do A, B, and C in year one, D, E, and F in year two. Yeah. Um, G and H can't do it all, right? Um, oh. And I, I do think employees appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the importance of including as early as possible, employees in, in that in that thought process is very, very helpful. Very helpful. From what it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like, like you said earlier, um, hearkening back to that, setting milestones, if you will, and benchmarks, uh, an actual, uh, implementing an actual plan so you can see where you're going, where you're headed, helps that train move in the right uh, direction. And it's also being, as a result, transparent that too, the communication. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not sharing half the story. Yeah. You're, you're saying here is what's possible and here is, here is what's not. Uh, and I think that candor is helpful. It's appreciated and employees value that. What they don't care for so much is not being heard uh, and not being communicated to. Yeah. Well, my final question for you today, uh, what's on your heart? Oh, I always think about it. I always answer that personally. It's always on my heart. It's, uh, it actually goes back to um, a, uh, a tribe in Africa uh, who, when they greet each other, they do not say, they do not ask, as is always our custom, uh, how are you? They don't say that. Mm-hmm. Their form of greeting actually is they ask, how are the children? That's how they greet each other. How are, how are the children? And the answer that they are expecting that you will give back is not that my children are well. That's not what they are hoping that you'll say. What they hope you'll say back is that all of the children are well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so really so, community-minded. Yes, absolutely. Community-minded for sure. So what's on my heart, all of the children are well. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Thank you for that, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I truly appreciate it. And the same, Bianca, and the same. Thank you so much. Absolutely. to come back on here. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, we'll have your seat waiting for you.